The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So um, I thought it might be nice just to take a couple minutes, uh, maybe three, four, five people, share a little bit what arose, what you came to understand or see more clearly when you were contemplating just the integrity of being in that sitting posture with your mind and body in ways and moments that felt like there was a lot of integrity, whatever word you were using, and those moments where it didn't feel like there was much integrity at all. And uh, any questions, of course, too, about the sitting practice we just did. Anything come to mind that you'd like to share with the group? Any clarity that you had? Yeah, Robin, please. Want to pass it all the way back? Um, well, I was sitting with a lot of pain and kind of, you know, trying to move around, see if there was some place I could get comfortable. But then I realized, I don't know if it was something you said or whatever, that um, maybe I should be feeling compassion for myself for this pain. So I started the compassion practice saying, I care about this pain. Uh, may I be free from suffering? May I have peace? So it kind of switched from just sort of not liking and trying to change things to having some caring about it. And I want to ask you, what was the second intention you said? The, what so the, yeah, the three right intentions. The first one is, I mean, the word that's usually used is renunciation, but it could be letting go, it could be generosity or contentment with what is. And then there's goodness of the heart or metta, okay. and then there's compassion. Okay. So yeah. I hit the compassion one. Yeah. yeah. Good. Thanks, Robin. Other reflections about how that sit was for you, what you learned, what you saw? Yeah, please, Maggie. Maybe while you're getting the mic, I'll turn it up a little bit. And by the way, as I'm walking over here, um, we could use a volunteer, somebody in the class, to help with uh, recording. To help with the recording um, every Monday night. So if you're interested, you don't need that much technical skill. Either I or Scott can train you in, and that way the people who you know, people who are working and can't make one of the Monday nights, they can get the recording and listen to it at home. Yeah, Maggie. Um, well, it was really powerful for me when you said um, that this practice of integrity would be how, that it makes a deep groove and whatever I do now has repercussions for the future. I just heard that at a deeper level. And I thought, okay, I really want to quit going through the motions of sitting here and being dist and and I'm distracted instead of being concentrated, so it uh, really helped me stay with the with the sit and in the concentration. And um, what usually pulls me out of it is um, pain. But today, since I was being more concentrated, I noticed it was okay. Relax, relax mm -hmm. that. Let it. Let that um, tension flow through. Yeah, thanks, Maggie. 
what you said reminds me of one of my favorite quotes um, from Ajahn Sumedho. I'll just make sure I get it exactly right. Oh, here it is. Um, he said, in terms of sila or ethical conduct or integrity, he says, because it's really, th- and we'll be um, looking at this in the next few weeks, but ethical conduct as a spiritual practice really arises from the wisdom of karma. The more we understand the lawfulness, then the more we care about living with integrity. So he says, if you're frightened by your actions, that's no good. If you're not frightened by your actions, that's no good, right? So there's this place where, because we could get, like use that idea we, it's a kind of medicine we want to use just the right amount that how my mind is relating to my experience matters. I could do that uh, reflection and I could paralyze myself like, oh my God, you know, all the times I sort of, you know, use distraction to entertain myself because I just didn't want to be in the moment or all the times I was irritated with my circumstances my karma, that's going to be my, I've set that emotion. That's what I have to look forward to. You know? And then, it may be true, but oh, I, I could get so overwhelmed by fear that I'm no longer realizing that now that's what I'm setting in motion, you know, being paralyzed with fear. So to be really frightened, like too tight about what we're doing right now, because that's setting something in motion, if, we're, if we get too tight that we can't actually do something about our karmic situation, well, that doesn't help. But if we totally think it doesn't matter how I'm relating in the moment, well, that doesn't help either, you know, because why bother? You know, why bother um, paying attention or seeing the consequences or seeing what way of being has a lot of integrity? Yeah, thanks, Maggie. So play with that at home because the bottom line, we always are setting something in motion, but use that truth, because it's a truth, as a medicine to wake yourself up, but not to scare yourself, right? So just take the right amount so your mind gets bright, bright enough to be aware of what's going on in the moment, but not so bright that you want to give up because like another version of it be taking too much of that medicine is like, instead of being present with this moment, I'm back thinking about all the times I was in the previous moments and I wasn't very good, right? And then I just feel like helpless. Like, what am I going to do? All those, my teenage years, I was just <laughs> totally lost in delusion, right? Or 20s or 30s or our 40s. Or yesterday, yeah. Thanks, Maggie, for bringing that up. Other thoughts? A couple more folks? Yeah, Rebecca and then Pierre. Just pass it along. And then I think Andrea after Pierre. Did you have your hand up? Oh, somebody over here. Oh, Bob, okay. (laughs) Um, Just real simple, speaking of setting emotion, what I noticed was how the three supported each other. 
And once the letting go uh, was in place and moving, then it just automatically moved to the meta without any effort. It was totally effortless, which then created the compassion in Mudita to arise effortlessly, which then circled back to more letting go. And it was this motion that the letting go kind of was the catalyst to stop controlling, and then everything arose from within each other. Yeah. So it didn't feel like three separate things to me. It was a continual integration and a supporting a support system, yeah. really. Yeah, and one of the things I like about what you're saying, Rebecca, too, is because you can look for that. That's like a characteristic of integrity, these three wholesome intentions alive and like Rebecca said they're not really different just different facets of relating skillfully to the present moment in a way that has a lot of integrity a lot of uh, engagement intimacy alive but the thing I like about what you said is you didn't use the word stability but there's something that when we're relating with integrity living our life with integrity engaging, responding to life with integrity, there's a kind of stability so that when it has some momentum, it isn't easily tipped over, right? And that, and that feels really good. You know how it is, like when, when we do have some momentum in our integrity, it's like there could be all kinds of bait or triggers around us, but we're just not taking the bait, you know, to be a jerk or to do this or do that, but it's like, no, because the good feeling of living, being with integrity more than makes up for whatever we might get from leaking in this way or leaking in this other way. Yeah. Which then also supports more letting go. Exactly. That stability, yeah. So that yeah. feedback loop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, I was just wondering, so when I was uh, watching this intention, at times I was just relaxing the wholeness of it, and at other times it was m- more like uh, wanting to become someone who is more kind or more um, compassionate. And so that there was a, s- and you you mentioned actually you talked about that yesterday. We want uh, the flood of becoming. So yeah. how do you reconcile these two? And this is the the real key. So. Uh, if you didn't quite catch Pierre, he said the, the flood of becoming just a moment ago. And, and how do you, like, because that will come up, especially if we do feel the goodness of moments of integrity, like we're really there in a good way in the moment, and it starts to naturally, appropriately feel good, and then it will, I think we could just say, it will trigger becoming energy, right? Like, oh yeah, this is, this is who I want to be. I really, and uh, the and the key for any I mean this is true for the whole path is the real skill is how to throw whatever is arising in the moment right back into the middle, so then that becoming energy is what we relate to with integrity, right? Like being interested in it, and interested in it with integrity means I'm interested in this becoming energy that I'm feeling because I'm guessing it has something to do with suffering and not suffering. Like really being identified with the becoming probably leads to being tight. And having a sense of humor about that habit of becoming or having some sense of space about that habit of becoming, that's, 
that has a lot more integrity, that feels better. So that's the key is that don't worry if, you, if you're not re- relating with integrity, just immediately use that experience and, and contemplate, well, how might I relate to this not having a lot of integrity with integrity? So the same thing, you might lose it in the traffic out, so outside of the formal sitting or you know, you have a lot of lust around somebody or um, you know, <laughs> I watched the Game of Thrones last night. <laughs> can't, can't tell you how graphically violent it was. <laughs> But it's so it's reverberating in my mind, you know, different pieces of that, and uh, I'm not proud of it. Um, <laughs> but it, what's really interesting is I, I have I have to say after thirty, eighty-two, six, so thirty-four years of regular practice, I have to say that now when I'm aware of relating without integrity and then judging myself or you know whatever the reverberations karmic reverberations of that are that i don't spend a lot of time hating or judging myself for my habits um and i just i like with a lot of respect i receive the karma that has been set in motion right things have been set in motion and here they are this is the reverberation of whatever happened before. This is the reverberation of that. So now I can either do something without a lot of wisdom behind it, or I can relate to this with wisdom, with integrity. I wonder what that would look like. Yeah, thanks, Pierre. And then Bob. Maybe we'll go on from there unless somebody else it has something they really like to share. I paid uh, uh, some attention to my physical posture as I started. I haven't been sitting upright much lately when I've been meditating because I've had some hip pain. But I, it, I felt like I had a little bit of discipline in that. And then the, as you started some of your opening words, it just felt simple, sort of unadorned with a little bit of discipline. And that's how integrity felt, uncomplicated to me in the sit. Yeah. So that's a, this is a, like all these comments are like nice. There's a theory in, in like social research that if you want to study something, you have different people who know that something talk about it, but they're each going to talk about it from their own particular perspective. And it's not like you could, you know, use a mathematical equation and figure out what that thing is. But we hear different people talk about integrity and we start getting a sense of what integrity is. So the piece that Bob just added that I think is very useful is that like when we're, because this is what we're doing and we don't, I mean the, the point is we don't really know what it is to relate with integrity. We're figuring it out. We're learning what it is. So one telltale sign maybe according to Bob is it has this quality of simplicity. It's not complicated. And then, you know, Rebecca's point is, I, one of the points that Rebecca was making, that it has a certain stability and a, and a kind of a feedback piece to it. Right? So 
This is in, in the weeks ahead, we'll learn this. Because otherwise, this class just becomes memorizing the five precepts as a way to hate ourselves for all the ways that we're not living up to the five precepts, you know. And, uh, but what we really want to do, like with all the Buddhist teachings, talking about a feedback mechanism, we want to take the teaching, we want to interpret the teaching, understand the teaching in a way that inspires more mindfulness, that is fuel, like building the confidence and the sort of array of skillfulness to be more mindful in more moments of our lives. And you know what the big, the big obstacle is? This idea that either I don't know how to be mindful in this moment or that it's not relevant. So it's really useful to talk about it in this way because we will learn from each other, yes, I can be mindful. And it's interesting. You know, it's, there's a karmic result to being mindful. It's liberating. In the same way, it's actually dangerous, not that we see it because we're not being mindful, but it's dangerous when we're not mindful because we're laying down something, we're setting something in motion, and we don't even know what that is. It could be really like not the direction I want to go, not the person I want to become, and yet there we are doing it. In the same way that, you know, if we were mindful, we would not, I mentioned in a group recently that I, I did a, a memorial service not too long ago, and there's a lot of people there, 50, 60 people. And we were sta- it was outside, and <coughs> we were standing outside. And then as at the end, you know, walking away, and I looked down and my fly was wide open the whole time. <laughs> I'm not sure what the point was, why I brought that up. <laughs> But I guess about being deluded and not aware. I mean, it's. But we c- we want uh, we want a way to keep feeding it back in, you know, so that we're there's this there's this sense that it matters what we're doing, and that because it it kind of creates a vigilance. Because when we're unaware, we're unaware. We could be doing all kinds of things, developing all kinds of habits, like not zipping up a fly after we use the toilet or things like that. So it really, it actually matters. And so if we saw that, you know, we would immediately fix it. But when we don't see it, well, these things can just continue on and on, or if nobody tells us, (laughs) they go on and on. So anybody else before we go on? Yeah. Yeah, and then I think we will end with Anne, though. Yeah. (laughs) You know, when you say uh, to be aware of the feeling tone of when we are behaving with integrity, well, maybe you didn't say that, but I'm saying it, um, that one of the things I notice when I feel like something I do is with integrity, like what you said, stretching with integrity or something, is there's a certain kind of magnetism that happens in the body. And I bring it up because we talk a lot about tranquility and we talk a lot about peace and all sorts of sort of higher chakra zinging. But the lower chakras, like breathing below your feet, like when those places are rooted and activated with integrity, there's a certain kind of magnetism that feels like what happens is joints start clicking into relationship 
and uh, stuff starts falling away and we become deeply interested in nothing, in like just showing up or the present moment. So I just bring it up because as we look at integrity, we should remember to feel the feeling of when we're being integrity, is there a vibration that happens that wasn't there when there wasn't integrity? And in a way that enlivens us to a greater embodiment. Because I like embodiment, so that's why I looked at it. <laughs> a lot of sense. I mean, I wouldn't use, I probably wouldn't language it in the same way you did, Anne, but I think the, the practice of integrity, uh, it, we're having integrity, we're being honest, we're being kind, we're being compassionate, with what is and both the subtle and the obvious both what's our habit but what we're in the habit of because being closed off to something right then if i'm relating with integrity i'm going to be honest with myself that i'm not looking there i'm not opening there i'm not in the habit i'm afraid of feeling that do you know what i mean so w if we understand integrity in the way that I'm using it, it will, uh, it will transform the mind's habits of whatever it is unaware of. It will learn to include. Because there's a kind of suffering when we've closed something off or we're, we, we remain unaware of something that's happening in the moment. Right? So that, that more subtle energetic stuff we're not taking it personally, but we're definitely not remaining unaware of it because that would be suffering. Why would a heart full of integrity remain unaware of what is going on? Right? So that by very the very definition of being awake, being mindful, relating to the moment with a lot of integrity is a sort of... Uh, the awareness, it's a very powerful integration. And it's the feeling of, that's the actual visceral feeling of being in a moment with a lot of integrity. It has a sense of wholeness and uh, kind of integration that it's a very distinct feeling. W and this is another thing, you know, like that example of the fly, you don't know it until you see it. We don't, you know, we might think that I have integrated, I'm connected to the body. But that's why we need these contemplations to realize that what is and w when the mind is relating with integrity and when the mind isn't. But anyway, I want to shift now and talk a little bit more about intention as uh, one of the frames for looking at ethical conduct these next weeks. And uh, I, one of the articles I sent out, so maybe I'll make a plug right now before I forget. So I sent an email out this afternoon. When you go home tonight, if you didn't receive it, that means you're not on our Buddhist Studies email list. Now, most of you are going to be already on the Buddhist Studies email list, but anybody who's in this class, the Buddhist Studies class, the Monday night class for the first time, you're probably not on that email list. Even if you registered for the class, so that means on the sign-up outside, 
you need to print your email address very neatly for me so we can get you, I can get you or somebody, some office volunteer can get you on the Buddhist studies email list so you can uh, get the readings. But there also will be up on our website, which is just BuddhistStudies.CommonGroundMeditation.org. So just put Buddhist Studies, all one word, and a dot, a period, before our website, and you'll get to our webpage, the Buddhist Studies webpage, with all. And I haven't done it yet, but I'll put those readings right at the top so you can find them. There's a talks from previous courses up there, too, and other things. But anyway, so that, yeah, that will be the go-to place for resources. But one of the articles I sent out today is this one by Ajahn Jayasaro, who's one of the senior Western Thai forest monks. And he has a little booklet on mindfulness and the precepts. And he says this about intention. He says, the Buddha said that the essence of sila, so sila is the Pali word for ethical conduct or integrity. The essence of sila or morality is intention. It is also the essence of karma. From this we can see that we can see the fundamental importance of intention. We are only going to be effective in our efforts to avoid creating bad karma, bad results, and our efforts to create good karma, good results, when we have some real-time awareness of intention. So how are you aware of intention? It's difficult. It's very difficult to keep track of a moving object if the background for that moving object is multicolored and unstable. Right? So intention is a moving target because it doesn't last very long. You know, We have an intention and then we have another intention and we have another intention and these intentions are arising in the context of other things coming and going. More gross things, right? Intentions are a relatively subtle thing coming and going in the context of more gross, obvious things coming and going. So like he says, it's not easy to be aware of intention. But if you have a plain background and you have a grid, then you can follow the movements of a moving object much, much more easily. We can plot it moving, say, from square A3 to B4 to C6. Having that grid is extremely helpful. And the precepts form the same kind of grid, a matrix or a framework in which one can see the complex movements of the mind when they start to lead onto actions of body and speech which, co which constitute bad karma and create problems both for oneself and others in the present and the future. So that's sort of interesting. <clears throat> so now this, this really, I think, helps because one of the things we'll do these six weeks when we're looking at intention is we'll use the five precepts undertaking the training to refrain from harming living beings, right? That's like a grid, a frame, or whatever you want to call it, that we move through life with, right? We've established this grid so that whenever I find myself wanting to uh, aggressively get rid of the ants around the sink, 
right? Pretending I'm not trying to kill them, but I really do not care very much because if I did, I would move the sponge in a different kind of way. Then all of a sudden, the grid that I've established in my mind, like undertaking the training not to harm living beings, it illuminates the way I'm moving the sponge along the edge of the sink in a way that I wouldn't, it wouldn't uh, notice it otherwise, right? Because I see now that intention to harm or the intention to justify being careless stands out because of that grid. So these more formal parts of sila or our training in integrity, there's a, there's a reason you know, that we establish these rules. So one of the things I'm going to recommend is uh, during the course is every day to recite the five precepts to yourself and to think about each one, think about why it's meaningful to you. So when you say to yourself, like maybe you get up in the morning, you're having your tea, and then you recite the five precepts. I undertake the training to refrain from harming living beings. And you think, okay, do I really, I mean, is that a value? Is that a frame I'm willing to live with? Knowing that, like another famous Thai monk in the forest tradition, the Thai forest tradition, this was a Thai person, not a Westerner, um, Ajahn Mahabua, he says that he described our uh, kitchens as crematoriums. And, uh, see what it, and then, um, yeah, oh, he has another image that's really potent. Maybe I have it here. And the point is just that being a human being, our bodies are graveyards, right? You know, we put animals or vegetables at least, and they, they go there to die, right? It's where we bury food. We bury other living things, right? And our kitchens are crematoriums, you know, where we burn or heat up at least things. So the point is, because he's a Buddhist monk and uh, he undertakes this training not to harm, so much to the extent, you know, you can't even pee when you're a monk or a nun on living plants. You know, you have to find, because you don't want your urine to kill that plant. You can't even, you're not even supposed to eat fruit unless it's already, the seeds that might be in that fruit have already been destroyed. So you're not living, you're not destroying something that could even set some life in motion. So they take this non-harming to the nth degree. But the point is you'll never be completely successful at not harming. But still we can train in it because it's, it really develops this integrity. The fr- it's a freedom that arises when we use that frame or use that grid, I undertake the training not to harm. The next one is I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which hasn't been given to me. That's such an interesting contemplation. So does that mean if there's a pen on the sidewalk that it's okay to take it? So it's a, you see all of a sudden the grid's there. We see an entry, and it's not just an ordinary pen. In the practice intensive, Beth, who was doing it, I don't think she's here tonight, um, I asked to borrow a pen because I needed something to take a note. 
And then at the end of the evening, I get back to her and said, no, no, I really want you to have it. I really love that pen, and I love giving it away, and it, it's a great pen. So if you found a pen like this on the sidewalk, you know, and we have this grid, I undertake the training to refrain from, to refrain from taking something that hasn't been actually given to me. So then all of a sudden, you know, there's that tension. And then the, the question, you know, how to live with integrity, how to set in motion freedom, how not to plant seeds for suffering. In this moment, when there's a very interesting looking pen, nobody to be seen, you know, and not only that, it's been there two days. I've walked up and down. And This is interesting in the early years of Common Ground and the lost and found. You know, and people, uh, you know, people like volunteers and stuff. And and I just noticed, I mean, I I haven't done it, but I I just noticed, you know. Well, we've done it with a few things, like really nice umbrellas we've kept at the center and yoga mats. We generally don't give the goodwill. We just stick them there for people to use. So there are a few things that, but we basically made it a policy that we don't keep anything that's been here for months and months and months. As nice as it might be, as you know, it might fit you just right. <laughs> I've been looking for just that thing. And it's just, it's a very interesting training to not take what hasn't been offered. You know, and you know, you could, maybe you're staying over at a friend's house and they've got this very interesting looking shampoo. And you've got your ordinary shampoo in your toiletry bag. But they've got this very interesting stuff, you know. Do you walk out of the shower and say, hey, could I use some of your shampoo? Or do you just stop? And see, the remem- remember that these trainings are trainings. They're there to illuminate the question of integrity and liberation in very ordinary moments of our life. And how about like even energy use? Like let's say we're, you know, we're paying for our gasoline, but, but are we really paying for the environmental costs of the products that we're buying? Right? So we you know, decide, oh, screw it, I'm going to take a 20-minute shower totally hot, you know, or I'm going to, I'm just tired of the heat yesterday. I'm going to just turn the air conditioning low. I don't care what they recommend. You know, I'm, I've had a bad day. I really need to cool down. Or whatever, you know. So is something like that where <coughs> there might be some ripple effects outside of what, you know, we might have purchased something like electricity from the utility, but maybe there's some costs Maybe we're taking something that hasn't really been given to us. I don't know. I'm just sort of opening that up for us. So that's the second. The third is I undertake the training to refrain from using, you could say, my sexual, my sexuality, my sexual activity in a way that harms. Or I refrain, I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. Uh, this is another pretty open thing. Like, what does that mean? You know, where, where is it okay? 
So if somebody has put something on the internet, is it okay to, uh, to indulge in that exciting, provocative, whatever thing? Is that freely given or not? Do we know if it's freely given? Or um, how about uh, flirting with somebody? Even though the thought you have in your mind is, you know, I know I'm in a committed relationship. This other person's in a committed relationship. We're just having fun. We're just playing. And again, it's just like having that frame. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. Then all of a sudden that stuff gets illuminated. Like, what am I doing with my mind? What is my mind doing now? How am I relating? What's going on? And what? And then again, in terms of karma, intention, by definition, intention, doing something with intention, thinking about this person with intention, or intentionally thinking about this person, creates karma. There, that it lays something down, so that the mind going forward is going to be the mind that has that thing laid down in it, or has that impression in it. It's a mind that has been impressed with this intentional thinking or this intentional action, saying this, doing this thing. So we can make a grid out of that. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. The fourth is I undertake the training to refrain from false speech. The Buddha kind of opened it up even more. So it's not just speaking falsely, it's speaking harshly. So like, using volume, using tone as a kind of way to sort of make a statement and be aggressive maybe or be sly, manipulative. So slander is another aspect of speech and uh, even idle speech. So like we just are uncomfortable so we just keep talking because we're trying to fill up space so we don't actually have to feel what we feel. We're lonely or whatever it might be. And this also might relate to taking what hasn't been given. You're taking somebody's time, but they haven't actually said, you know, I have 15 minutes, feel free to fill up that space with your idle speech. (laughs) Because sometimes, you know, if we had more integrity in those moments, we, we might say, you know what? It's really hard for me to be alone right now. I really need you to be here for me. I don't really, I don't really want to hear from you. I've had people say that to me. I just need to talk. And they specifically said to me, like, I'm not asking for your advice. I'm not asking for your input. But I, I do want to connect in this way. So that has a lot more integrity, doesn't it? You know, in terms of wise speech. Like, to ask somebody, can you be here for me? And I just need to fill up the space because I I just don't feel comfortable being alone tonight. So let's just, but I don't really, I'm so self-absorbed right now, I don't really care about your life. (laughs) (laughs) So I get to be the one with problems tonight. I mean, we kind of, good friends can do that for each other even. So that's the fourth, undertaking the training to refrain. And we'll dig into each of these five precepts, but just to kind of get us going.
and I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind. Now, normally that means, you know, I think even technically in the the way the word is, the Pali word is like fermented beverages. But we have, you know, many other ways to intoxicate our minds, not just with alcohol, not just with recreational drugs. But media, too, is quite intoxicating. And other kinds of obsessive behaviors can have the same drug-like disconnecting effect as you know, alcohol and drugs. So we undertake the training <coughs> to refrain from intoxicating the mind. And so that's a very interesting frame. Like I see that every time I try, I often joke about how expensive my gre- green tea has become as I've, I've learned to appreciate the difference between good green tea and just ordinary green tea. And then I notice how I want to squeeze out every last bit of it, you know, and like how many cups can I get out of so much tea and and just uh, I, I see that part of my relationship to green tea, even something as, you know, I think it's pretty healthy generally, but it <clears throat> I see that way of trying to intoxicate the mind, like, not liking the dullness in my mind or if there's a little heaviness in my heart, a little kind of below the surface, a kind of you know, dull pain that I haven't quite learned how to open to, work through. But there it is. And so I don't, but I don't want to, you know, I got a job, I got a life I have to live, I've got to get a talk together. So I'll elevate, you know, myself with green tea, or one cup didn't do it, or maybe two cups, maybe three cups, right? Where, when is enough enough? And then, then eventually, w- if we have this precept, I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicating the mind, at some point, even green tea, it starts getting illuminated. Okay, what's going on here? Is this about having a cup of green tea or is this about intoxicating the mind so I don't feel what I'm feeling? So I'm not actually being connected because I don't want to be connecting with what's going on. Same thing with like leaving the radio on. Is that because I'm actually interested in what's on Minnesota Public Radio? Or is it I don't want to feel what it feels like when there's no sound? So we can work with this precept in all kinds of ways. And remember, it's the, the bad way <laughs> you know, to work with these precepts is to think, okay, I don't kill, so I don't have to think about that anymore. And I, I don't steal, so I don't have to think about number two. And I'm not in a relationship, you know, or I am in a relationship, and I'm not cheating on this person, so I don't need to worry about number three. And right now I'm not talking to anybody, so I don't need to worry about number four. And, uh, you know, I don't do drugs and alcohol, so I don't need to do number f- worry about number five. So I guess I'm done. <laughs> I wonder what else I could do on Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I can help the other people in the room. <laughs> so the idea is to just keep going. Like this is a lifetime practice. I like this particular formulation. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I agree to protect life. 
Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I agree to take only what is freely given to me. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I agree to protect relationships. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I agree to speak truthfully and kindly. Knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, I agree to protect the clarity of my mind by avoiding drugs and alcohol. And it's interesting, you know, one of the things that is really uh, relevant to me around alcohol and drugs um, is that uh, it may be that some of us can be casual drinkers or casual users of recreational drugs, but for sure there are some of us that can't because of just the nature of our personality or maybe our biochemical system. (coughs) We don't have that luxury. So knowing how our lives, how deeply our lives intertwine, you see, that informs our choice to have a glass of wine or smoke a joint or or whatever it is that we do. Now, I'm not, again, just sort of, it's a cheap way to do this practice. It's just to say, to be judgmental, like, oh, I'm just going to do this, or I'm just going to do that. Because the whole thing is about getting interested. So don't, I didn't say what I just said to just, make people feel guilty about being a casual drinker of wine. And so now, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to do that. But what we're really supposed to do is when we're having a glass of wine to be intimate, knowing how deeply our lives intertwine, or when we buy something at Target, to be really intimate with what that is, or when we take a 20-minute shower to be really intimate in a in a really broad and deep way. So that, because how are we going to find our way towards liberation unless we start learning how to take responsibility? And this is like frightening because we, from an egoic point of view, we just want to know we're, we're better than most so that we can feel good about ourselves, right? It's like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a jerk as much as I used to be. And, uh, you know, I shop at the co-op. <laughs> and I recycle most of the time. And then, you know, we have all these sort of things. And it's just like, like how far up the heap do we need to be? So we sort of imagine how other people are living their lives, you know, m- much worse than us. And so I'm on the top half of the heap. So... So that's not the practice of integrity. It's just this opposite thing, like there's no end to this sense of responsibility. But instead of that being a heavy trip, it's really enlivening and liberating. Like to get interested in our shopping habits or our eating habits or our relational habits or habits around intoxicants or our habits around, you know, watching Games of Thrones or whatever. You know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people being slaughtered, you know, and choreographed by people with like amazing craft. I mean, it's just, just, it was just so interesting. I watch it on my little iPhone, so it's. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> this is what I. This is the only way I can do it. <laughs> but it it's protecting. <laughs> so it's just so interesting to take responsibility for these actions and what is that setting emotion and even saying like owning up to it like is that making other people more likely to watch it well if mark watches it then maybe i can or is it you know helping people take more responsibility i don't know actually the answer to that um let me know if you start watching it (laughs) maybe i won't mention these my bad habits but um but how can we be how can we feel how liberating that is to want to take responsibility for every intention to really sense like it matters and it's our, it's in the direction of liberation not disconnecting from karma not thinking that somehow we've risen above it or we're on the better half of it in terms of what we're setting in motion but seeing there's no end to it. Because <clears throat> remember, the Buddha didn't teach a path about how to be better than other people. Or um, he taught a path of understanding that there's karma, but it doesn't belong to anybody. What we say, what we do, what we think matters, but it doesn't ultimately matter to a self. Still, our thoughts, our words, our actions set everything in motion. And here's the thing. The reason why we can move to the nth degree, be infinitely responsible for what we think, what we say, what we do, is because in the end, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be that sensitive one. So what we're doing is we're setting in motion that profound integrity, that compassion for all beings, that willingness to be sensitive to the nth degree and just get a little bit more sensitive and then more sensitive. Because the more we get sensitive, the more the ego finds it impossible to be the one who's sensitive. It reminds me again of, this, of your story, Greta, Greta told me the story long ago after t- t- uh, 9-11, 2001, when uh, she, she's, she's been practicing a long time and, uh, and she had the thought, having done some Tong Lin practice, to, you know, and it's just a, it's a very natural thought to have for someone who's practiced compassion to kind of open up to all the confusion and all the suffering. So this is, in a sense, what we're doing with the practice of integrity as we take more and more and more responsibility for what we think, what we say, what we do, and what we have thought and have said and have done, and what everybody around us is thinking and doing and saying. We take more and more responsibility, and you see, it, there's no way to do that from an egoic point of view. Right? The ego is going in the exact opposite direction. Just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what my responsibility. I can't be responsible for you guys, right? Because I, you know, it's just. So we want to be our own. Like, well, my bathroom's clean. You know, I've made some really skillful choices about how I heat my house. You know, so if, 
if this world warms up and everybody dies, well, it's not my fault because you know I've invested in these kinds of heating systems in my house. I bit the bullet. So that's an egoic point of view. So this practice of integrity is we, n- we never get off the hook, not only for our own suffering, but everybody else's suffering. And this is why, like in later traditions in Buddhism, in the Mahayana tradition, for example, they've made a big thing of practicing for the benefit of all beings, right? Because what they're doing is they're realizing that we have to take our practice of integrity to the nth degree precisely because it's liberating. It removes the sense of self. So we need the compassion, not just because other beings matter and we might be able to help them, but because we need to be generous in this way. We need to care about what we think, what we say, and what we do because it's our path of liberation. So in this way, ethical conduct isn't something we do in order to be able to meditate, which sometimes we hear that, like if you don't get your actions in order, you won't be able to meditate because you'll sit there and you'll be thinking about all the bad things you did. And that said, and there's some truth to that, it's true, if I was mean all day and then I sit down for an hour in the evening, that stuff is probably, unless I have you know, really good delusion going, it's going to reverberate in my meditation. And if I do have really good delusion going, I won't be able to meditate anyway. So finding ways, the, the whole point of this course is to find ways to increase our sensitivity. So think of the five precepts that you're going to recite every morning or remember every morning, run your mind through every morning. It's like on purpose, becoming, re- feeling responsible, caring about these parts of our life, these five parts of our life on purpose. Not to get done with it, but to get ever more into it and to begin to discern how liberating it is to start taking responsibility for what we say, how we deal with our sexual energies, what we consume, how, you know, how what we do with our aggressive behaviors, whether it's passively aggressive or assertively aggressive, and how we intoxicate ourselves in different ways. So I'll leave it here. I want to just cover a few nuts and bolts before we end. First, remember to Print your email neatly if you haven't been receiving Buddhist, uh, I mean the Buddhist studies emails in the past. Um, remember, there is a criteria for the class we want. This is a class for people who have a commitment to daily practice. Doesn't mean you sit every day. It means it's your intention to sit every day, and it means you've done some Buddhist retreat practice, even if it's just half day retreats. You can check with me if you have any questions about the criteria. It's understandable that you won't be able to be here every Monday night if you have family obligations or work obligations, but when you can be here, you come. And then part of being in this class means that when we have small groups every other week, that you participate in the small groups, you don't sneak out. Now, if you're sick and you're going to vomit, of course, <laughs> or you, you're going to con- you know, contaminate the rest of the group, So, of course, just do what you have to do. But 
do it with integrity. Don't leave because you don't want to be here or you think you don't have anything to say. Right? The point of the small groups that we'll have, for example, next week is it brings integrity to your daily practice because you are going to show up in a group of three people and you're going to have your two or three minutes and you're going to want to say something that's of value and honest and authentic. So the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you show up to your life, right? That you get interested in these teachings and sort of ground them in your own experience. And and it doesn't matter if what you have to say is I'm not learning anything because that's sometimes a way of being really honest and authentic in your small groups. But one way or another to show up in those small groups. I'll tell you more about that next week for those of you who are new. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.